On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a mini-episode of Set Leslie Bruce the podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and thank you so much for downloading this special bonus mini-episode. Set Lusting Bruce has been nominated for a Podcast People's Choice Awards, and these mini-episodes are my way of saying thank you for the support and also a reminder for you to go vote. Voting is going to take place from Sunday, May 29th to Sunday, June 12th. Each listener can vote once a day. Set Lusting Bruce is nominated under the music category, and I would appreciate if you would go to www.podcastawards.com. That's www.podcastawards.com every day for the next two weeks and vote for us. While you're there, check out the other categories and see if there are podcasts you want to support. One suggestion I have is under comedy to vote for Matt and Mattingly's Ice Cream Social. Matt is a big Springsteen fan and has actually joined me on an episode coming up. So it would be nice for everyone to give their show a little love as well. It is great to be nominated, but I would love to show the world, the power of Bruce fandom, and win this thing, my fellow Bruce Butts. Now here is your mini-episode. Mr. Trouble, come walking this way. Yeah, gonna pass. Feels like one long day, but I'm alive. And I'm feeling alright. But I'll run that hard road at a heartbreak city In a roadside carnival of hurt and self-pity It was all wrong Well, now I'm moving on Ain't no church bell ringing Ain't no flags unfurled Just me And welcome to another mini Set Lusting Bruce. Uh, these are podcasts that we're sending out to remind you to go to the podcast awards to vote for Set Lusting Bruce in the music category. And this is my thank you for us getting nominated and also a reminder slash bribe for you to go uh, vote. Um, I have been lucky enough to have um, past guests say, yeah, I'll jump on again. And so one of my favorite people to talk to, John, is here. John, introduce yourself. Uh, hey, Jesse. Great to be back on the podcast. Um, I, I really love this format, as you know. Um, for your podcast audience, uh, my name is John Munson. Uh, I'm 51 years old, and I live in Phoenix, Arizona. I have been an avid Bruce Springsteen fan since the age of 16 when I saw my first concert in 1980. 
And through the years, uh, I've seen I've seen 25 concerts, uh, starting with the 1980 River Tour and most recently uh, the 2016 River Tour. And I know there's people out there that have seen a lot more concerts um, than I have, and, and that's fine. And I think there's others out there that say, wow, that's great. You've had this um, great opportunity. One of the nice things that I appreciate is over that 36-year period, um, I've seen at least one I've seen at least one concert on each tour, so I've uh, I've seen all kinds of uh, uh, different. I've seen Bruce in various formats: the E Street Band, uh, the '92 '93 Band. I've seen the solo shows with Devils and Dust and uh, Tom Joad. I've seen the E Street Orchestra. So I feel like uh, uh, I, I feel like I've got a broad spectrum of, of of what Bruce has been up to for the past 36 years. That's kind of cool. Um, I think in a lot of ways, and I know you're not individual in a record, but I think that's kind of cool that you've seen at least one show on each tour because it's kind of, as you just mentioned, the different changes of the E Street Band and, and his career. That's kind of cool. Yeah, Absolutely. And Jesse, one of the so what I wanted to talk about today on today's podcast, um, Jesse, I know I know a little bit about you. I mean, you be you you went to your first show in 2002. That is correct. And and by the way, as far as uh, the rate you're going right now on the 2016 tour, uh, you're probably going to surpass my uh, my 25 shows in, any day now, which, which is great that you have that opportunity. Yes. Um, you know, things have changed through the years, and um, I wanted to talk about a, um, a few concert experiences that I've had, and, and, and two of them go back um, uh, almost over 20 years. And I thought that'd be a good way to, you know, some of the newer fans that um, that didn't experience some of the earlier tours, you know, share some some of my favorite memories. Yeah, I think that'd be great. So uh, go ahead. So okay. you said you uh, before we start recording, you said you had. Uh, two or three stories to share, and they all had something in common. Yes. Um, when I think, you know, we're, we're as Bruce Springsteen fans, you know, we all we all have very memorable experiences, whether it's, um, you know, a, a concert or, or anticipation of a new album. But when I think back of my three my three most memorable uh, Bruce experiences. Um, it's kind of interesting because even though I live in Phoenix, Arizona, and I've lived and I've lived here for the last 30 years, my three most memorable experiences all happened in Los Angeles. Um, so I think it's just coincidence that um, and, and it was going to going to concerts over there in L.A. So I wanted to share um, share three of three of those stories with me, uh, with, with you in the podcast audience. Um, the first story I wanted to talk about happened back in April of 1988. And that was when Bruce had the Tunnel of Love Express tour. Um, from a historical standpoint, uh, to give the audience a little idea of what was going on back in 1988, uh, this was the follow-up tour um, to the me- mega-successful Born in the USA World Tour. Uh, Born in the USA World Tour wound down in October of 1985. Um, and that was after over a year of touring. And when he wound down the Born in the USA tour, he was at his mega popularity. He was playing huge stadiums 
multiple nights, whether it was Giant Stadium in the Meadowlands or whether it was the, it was the 90,000 Los Angeles Coliseum. Um, very, very popular back in uh, fall of 85. Well, the follow-up tour, which started in February of 1988 in, in Worcester, Mass., went back to arenas. And, you know, you really had to go back to arenas because you can't have outdoor concerts uh, in February in Massachusetts. Uh, but the ticket, man was, the, the ticket demand was extremely high. Um, there was a lot of buzz about, um, about Bruce coming back. Um, but one thing about this tour, Jesse, and I, I hear that sometimes now when people talk about the 2016 uh, River Tour, or at least the U.S. leg of the 2016 tour. Um, so back in 1988, for the U.S. leg of the Tunnel of Love Tour, it was the same set every night. Literally, um, you, you got the same set every night. And I think the reason why Bruce did that was, number one, he brought in a horn section and he had very, very intricate horns arrangements with certain songs, particularly the songs from Tunnel of Love. So I think he didn't want to deviate too much from that standard set list. And okay. I also think there, and I think there was also a story, just like he tells the story with the um, 20 songs on the river. I think he wanted a specific story to, to, to share with the audience. And it was kind of this theme of, of love and relationships. Mm -hmm. So, so once again, um, there was complaints about the set list being the same every night, but I got to tell you, Jesse, I was okay with that. And this is still my favorite tour. And it was really like, it was really like seeing a Broadway show and it was okay seeing the same thing night after night. You know, it's what I first thing that comes to mind, John, is that the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? Because right. we are getting a la a small but loud contingent of fans kind of saying, oh, why isn't he playing this? Or I, I didn't get the river. Or, oh, he's doing more, too many from Born in the USA. And I know you and I are the same thought that says, look, just enjoy the fact that he's still playing and having a blast. I agree. You know, so before the River Tour, the last show I saw was the, um, the a show in Houston in May of 2014. And it's almost like, Jesse, every show, I think, okay, this this, this could be the last one. Right. And so whenever I go to it, so every time I go to show, it, it really is a blessing. And I walk away and say, you know, this could be the last one. And I'm grateful for what I had. But, yeah, you really got to you really got to put things in perspective. So, John, um, what was funny is. You know, I was at that show. We've talked about that. That's right. And, uh, yeah, we, um, we, we didn't know each other then. Um, but the person I talked to um, just before this, because uh, I'm trying to get 15 days of mini episodes means you have to record a lot. <laughs> My wife is like, <laughs> you are gluttonous for punishment. But he, um, you know, uh, and he's going to be out there shortly. But um, he lives in Houston. And um, Dale was talking about he was at that show, and we discussed how much that was – how magical. And actually, he said he almost got in a fight because um, when he started doing One Step Up, three guys in front of him started talking. Oh, no. And he went there, put his head between them, and said, 
not during the slow songs. Yeah. And they kind of shut up, and his wife's like, they're going to hit you. He goes, I don't care. It's worth the risk. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a great story. So anyway, go ahead. Uh, I did not mean to interrupt you. No, no, that's great. Um, You know, the other thing, just real quickly, before I wrap up my kind of my my first of three uh, memories, was – you know, he actually did two outtakes from the river uh, during the 1988 tour. People may not be aware of that. Um, he did in in the set every night was "Be True" and "Roulette." And even in in interviews back in 1988, he made the comment. He said, "You know what? Those songs probably should have been on the river." And and I think they're both str- I, they're two of my favorite songs. So it was glad to have those in um, in the uh, uh, in the encores. He had a couple of great cover versions that sounded great with the horns. Um, Have Love Will Travel, which was done in the 60s by a group called The Sonics. And then uh, Sweet Soul Music was also, you know, a kind of a great uh, uh, R&B classic from the 60s that, that just sounded great with the horns. Uh, the, the one show that I so once again, this show, which was April 23rd, 1988, is by far my favorite show of the 25 I've seen um, over my, my, my Bruce career. Uh, the nice thing is this, this actual show is available on the official download site. Um, I was pleasantly surprised last summer that that was the show they picked to put up for the, um, for the 1988 tour. So after all these years of listening to uh, bootleg recordings, which sounded you know pretty good, it, it's great to have an official recording of this of this show. Oh yeah, I bet, and I like that show. I, I you know I have bought that. Yeah, and it's it's a great show. Great. Yes. Yeah. This Jesse the second, um, my second L.A. story, really talks about, uh, in my opinion, of of the 36 years I've been following Bruce, my personal favorite single song performance occurred in November 1990. And uh, in November of 1990, um, I I traveled from Phoenix to Los Angeles uh, to attend the Christic Institute benefit concerts, uh, which were held at the Shrine Auditorium. And just to put a little bit of context in this, first of all, the Shrine Auditorium, it's a 6,300 seat theater. So it's it's not tiny, but it's definitely a lot smaller than an arena. And so Bruce did a benefit concert there. Uh, he had did two shows on a Friday, Saturday night, November 16th and November 17th. Um, there was a lot of excitement for these shows because, um, once again, this is November 1990. Um, Bruce, Bruce broke up. He broke up the E Street Band in late 1989. And he did a couple club appearances, but not really much going on since he broke up the band. So this this truly was his first performance after breaking up the E Street Band. And a lot of people, and they knew he'd been in the studio, so a lot of people didn't know what we were going to get. Um, these two shows, the, the, the two shows were great, and I know you can find them on YouTube. You can, you know, you, you can easily find these uh, these Christic Institute shows on YouTube. Um, he opened both nights with uh, acoustic version of, of Brilliant Disguise. Um one thing that surprised me, and I think it surprised a lot of fans, is I think we all thought that he was going to be, and, and we knew it was an acoustic show. Um, I think we thought it was going to be mostly, it was going to be acoustic guitar, but we didn't realize that he was going to play solo piano on, on, on several of his uh, of his songs. Um, so we got so about seven songs into the set, 
he sat down behind the piano and started playing the first few notes of the uh, of the intro to 10th Avenue Freeze Out. Yeah. Yeah, and the and the and the and the crowd went crazy. You know, it's kind of like those first few notes and then you realize what song he's going to play and uh the the other songs that he played on piano that night uh and, and, and the following night, besides besides 10th Avenue Freeze Out, was uh, My Hometown, uh, Tougher Than the Rest on piano. Uh, he did Thunder Road solo on piano. And the other song that he did on piano um, was Real World, which ended up on the Human Touch album. Right. Jesse, have you ever heard that version of Real World from 1990? I don't think I have. Okay. You got to check it out. And it's easily found on on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube, and you know, for the for the podcast audience also, if you go to YouTube search and just type in "Real World Live in LA 1990 Springsteen," you'll you'll find you know several versions of it, um, all in different. There's a couple of video versions, a couple of audio versions. Um, I think we're all familiar with the the song "Real World," which came out on. Human Touch, the version he played solo on piano that night was completely different than what ended up on the album. Um, the, 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 the ballad solo piano version of Real World was a lot like the song um, Back in Your Arms. Very soulful, very powerful. Nice. Yeah. yeah, and if you think back to, you know, if you think back to the lyrics of that song on on human touch, you know, because it's kind of this up tempo, full band version, kind of, you know, very, very up tempo. But the, the lyrics kind of get lost. But when you listen to these lyrics, when it's just, you know, one man and a piano, um, I, I think it's pretty, it's it's pretty phenomenal. Um, so 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 Jesse, without a doubt, that that performance of Real World, both Friday night and Saturday night. Um, Bruce nailed it. If he was an Olympic gymnast, they would have given him a 10.0 on nice. that. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So, so I, I'm glad I'm able to share with you that you know you need to look that up and, and I will because uh, it's it you know it, it moved me. And then when I talked to other fans afterwards, I think we all were like that <laughs> that was a phenomenal new song. Um, real quickly, some of the other things that, that happened during those two nights in 1990. He had been in the studio, so he had been working on a lot of new songs. Um, that uh, Saturday night, we received the um, the world premiere of The Wish. And I think I think you're a fan of The Wish. I am. One of the few songs of, uh, about mothers. But what was funny about when he introduced The Wish, he had a really great story about, um, I think he talked about going to his psych. Uh, his psychologist and trying to understand his relationship with his mother, uh, Jesse. That's also on YouTube. So if you you, you search "The Wish" 1990, you'll hear you'll hear a great story. But before he started the song, he 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 said that I want to dedicate this song to a great line of mother lovers such as Richard Nixon, Elvis Presley, and Merle Haggard. And so <laughs> it's, it's it's a great story. Nice. Um, you know, other world premieres that we got um, those two nights were um, Redheaded Woman, uh, Soul Driver, 57 Channels, and the song that ended up on tracks, uh, When the Lights Go Out. Uh, but wow, once again, what a great show. Yeah. 
the, the takeaway for you and the audience is is track down this version of real world. It's nothing like um, it's nothing like the version on Human Touch. And you know, if anything, Jesse, when in in early 1992, when we got word of what the lineup was going to be for Human Touch. This is, you know, coming out March 30th, uh, Human Touch and Better Days. And this is, our, I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, Human Touch and Lucky Town. Um, I think they, of it as Betty D- Better Days, too. You, you know, know what? <laughs> I, honestly, Jesse, I, I think originally Bruce would have called it Better Days, but I don't But Southside Johnny, he, he, um, he released an album in 1991 called Better Days. Okay, and I think he stole the not necessarily stole the title from right. Bruce, but I think Bruce would have called it Better Days, except for mm-hmm. Southside had that album just a year earlier. I think that is a great theory and probably yeah. true. <laughs> um, so anyway, so I was so ex- I was so excited to see that Real World was going to be on on Human Touch, and and the friends and my friends that had listened to the bootleg, um, they were excited because they said this is an awesome song, and. It's it's a different version that that up, not not that there's anything wrong with the up tempo version, um, but it just doesn't capture the the soul and, and and the love, and I truly mean love that that's in this live performance. And and I don't think he's ever done a live solo on piano since then. So it's definitely um, once you get a chance to look at it, I look forward to circling back. Um, it was it was a fun show. Um, Backstreet magazines uh, did like an after party at their at their hotel suite. They had a they had a um, hotel suite over on Santa Monica Boulevard. So uh, Charlie Cross, who was the founder of um, Backstreets, and Eric Flanagan, his right hand man, they they were doing a lot for the Bruce community back in the late '80s, early '90s. They kind of put together an after party. We we listened to the tape again at the party, and 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 everyone was excited about this show. So, uh, uh, that sounds great. I I can't, um, I will include a link to that, uh, YouTube video. Yeah. Uh, So awesome. Thanks. That's not, that sounds great, Jesse. And, uh, yeah, um, my, my third, my third story happened more recently and it's kind of a fun story. And so it's real kind of a quick fun story and it's just, it's more, more personal to me. And, (laughs) Uh, that happened during the Wrecking Ball tour uh, in 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 April of 2012. And and by the way, a lot of a lot of times the reason why I end up going over to LA for shows and is because Bruce has skipped Phoenix uh, many times. He didn't come to Phoenix in '88 on the Tunnel of Love tour. And you know when the first leg of the 2012 Wrecking Ball tour came out, I don't know if you remember this, Jesse, but there were only there were only two cities west of the Mississippi on that first leg of the tour. And that was um, Oakland and Los Angeles. And I, I, I know you know he didn't show up in Texas. Now he circled back later on, but but that first that first leg, he he had he really had nothing out west for for fans that live out here. No, there there wasn't, and that is the reason why Linda and I drove all the way to Cleveland okay. to see him because yeah. you know New Orleans was the closest, but that was going to be for Jazz Fest, and it sold out immediately. Okay, um, you know because you know it's Bruce and it's Jazz Fest. Gotcha. Well, and and so the shows in L.A. were. The shows in L.A. were immediately before New Orleans Jazz Fest because the band was going to New Orleans um, after the two shows um, in L.A. So once again, I saw the you know I saw the leg of the U.S. tour. No Phoenix. I was like, you know what? 
have love will travel. I love Bruce. <laughs> I got to travel to find him. Um, so, so I went over to see the two shows um, in late April 2012 on the Wrecking Ball tour, and uh, obviously two great shows. But the the memorable experience for me, Jesse, is um, I I I got to meet uh, someone uh, who has a very close personal relationship with Bruce, and that person is Kevin Buell. Do you know who Kevin Buell is? Isn't he the guy that keeps everything running backstage? He Kevin Buell is is Bruce's guitar technician. Okay. So 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 Jesse, you you don't know the name, or you you kind of knew the name, but you definitely know the face. So whenever Bruce swaps out his guitars, it's Kevin that that comes out and and gives him the new guitar and takes the old guitar. And the guy that um, kind of I have a guy with glasses. Right. Um. So. Chris is the one, and you may have heard that when uh, Chris and I were driving home after seeing him, where he said, you know, let's sign this guy up for the Cowboys because he doesn't miss. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's right, because when Bruce throws the guitar to Yes. Well, so anyway, and and a little, you know, if you you Google, if you Google, you know, Kevin Buell, obviously he takes a low profile, he's a a low profile person. I'm sure Bruce is that way with all of the employees that are not, you know, not on stage performers. So I I don't know a lot about him, but um, uh, one thing I do know is the first time I recognized Kevin on stage was back in 1996 during the Ghost of Tom Joad tour he kind of came out on stage and i think kevin's or bruce said, hey this is my guitar technician so I, I so he's been with bruce for many years in fact the second night at la in 2012 which was a friday night he actually uh he actually brought kevin out on stage he asked kevin to come on out he said his guitar wasn't working so kevin get out here right now and then once once kevin got out on friday night um and I think, and once again, you can find this on, you can find this on YouTube also if you, um, you know, say if you Google like you know Kevin Buell get guitar failure 2012. Uh, but anyway, so he was he said once Kevin got out there, he said, hey everybody, Bruce said, hey everybody, this is Kevin's 1,000th concert. This is Kevin's 1,000th show, and he said this is that is. Uh, F and a lot of shows, and he said, "Congratulations, Kevin, and, and thanks for all your hard work." So it was kind of nice he uh, he uh, he acknowledged Kevin. Well, Friday show was great. I went to the airport Saturday morning. Uh, went to the airport Saturday morning uh, to fly back to Phoenix, and I'm walking to my gate, and I see a familiar face with kind of with his back up against the wall, and I look and I go, oh, "That's Kevin Buell," and. Jesse, you know I'm a kind of soft-spoken guy, and I'm pretty shy. And I thought, no, I better not. You know, I, I don't want to invade his space. I said, you know what? If you don't go introduce yourself to to him, you're going to regret this for the rest of your life. And so, so I I I walked up and I said, hey, uh, are, are you Kevin? And he's like, yeah. And I said, hey, I'm you know I'm John Munson. How are you doing? And he's like, well, I'm doing pretty good. And uh, I said, well, hey, I, you know, I saw, I saw you on stage last night. And, hey, congratulations on your 1,000 shows. Um, you know, that was great. And he's like, oh, thank you. And he's like, well, do you want to talk about the car? And I go, what car? And he's like, um, well, didn't Sam tell you, to, didn't Sam send you over here to talk about the car? And I was like, oh, oh, Kevin, I'm sorry. You, you've got me mixed up with someone else. I go, I, you know, I'm just an avid E Street fan that was at the concert last night. I, I've seen you for over 20 years now, and I just had to say hi. 
so it was kind of an awkward conversation from the standpoint he thought he thought I was someone else. Um, but I just basically, uh, you know, explained who I was. And, and he said, oh, great. He said, you coming with us to New Orleans? Because, like I said, it was the jazz festival right after. And I said, no, I got to fly home to Phoenix. But so so anyway, so, I, you know, I shook his hand and said goodbye and, you know, said, you know, great to meet you. And I kind of looked around the corner and I saw all these people that were at the, the gate for the Southwest flight to New Orleans. And, it, and they all had like wrecking crew, the, the T-shirts said like wrecking crew. So they were basically all the roadies and stuff like that. So I thought, so I thought, okay, that's how it works is the, you know, the band, the band flies on the, the, the fancy rock star aeroplane. Uh, but yeah, the, I guess see, so. The, yeah. The guys behind, they're, they're, they're flying like the rest of us. But anyway, that, so that, that, that was, that's kind of my third and final story. But it was No, kind of, that is great. Yeah, I'll, I'll, Jesse, I'll probably never meet Bruce and, and that's okay, but I got to think. Who spends more time with Bruce other than Patty than probably Kevin Buell? Because yeah. wherever those guitars go, I think Kevin's with him. You know, when Bruce went with uh, President Obama on the 2012 campaign, you know, Kevin was right there, you know, managing the guitars. So I, I think wherever those guitars go, Kevin's right behind him. I think so. And, you know, that's – I would have – you're so sweet because I think I would have just – so, like, how often do you miss him? Like, do you think he's trying to make you miss? What, you know, what's, what, you know? Yeah. I And so you were very cool, much cooler than I would have been, John. Okay. Those are great. Thank you. Those are wonderful stories. Well, so, um, so are you uh, seeing him anymore? Are you making any trips when he comes back from Europe? Jesse, I don't have anything planned, but what I've learned in life is never say never. Because you just never know what's going to happen. I, I, I don't have any plans. Um, I, I'm excited for you. Uh, we'll, we'll just see how things go. I, I'm grateful that I did see the show. Um, I'm grateful that I did see the show back in March here in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And um, boy, I, I, I live I've, I live vicariously through uh, through concert recordings and um, reading you know reading Backstreets. Uh, Concert reviews. Uh, I subscribe to uh, Stephen Strauss's blog. Uh, I, I get Periscope. So, you know, whether I go to a show or not, another show or not, um, I'm, I'm definitely going to continue to follow the tour because because this is an exciting time. And um, boy, we we just don't know if this is like I don't. This could be the last time. We just don't know. You, the fact that. I think you and Ali might have said something about this, but the fact that he's adding shows, or maybe Mitch said this. Boy, the fact that he's adding shows—it's almost like this. This may this this could be the grand finale, or and he'd never say that. No, but I think he's but I think he's realizing that um, you know that the hourglass the hourglass is getting low. I think well said, and I do believe he is not the type of person that will do um, you know retirement tour. Absolutely, he'll never say farewell yeah. tour. No. Um, and you know, I, and I don't have anything against this. Like I know George Strait was just in, um, the last year or so at Texas, you know, at the Jerry world, you know, he did a kind of my last tour and he said, I'm not going to stop performing. I'm just not going to do, you know, a long tour. And, you know, they had a lot of special guests and such, but I think he will just, um, one to decide, well, maybe it's I shouldn't or just do some little shows here or there. So 
Um, I'm just so grateful and so happy. John, how can someone reach you? Uh, you know, Jesse, the best way to get a hold of me uh, is my Twitter handle, which okay. is um, at John, J-O-N, underscore A, underscore Munson, M-U-N-S-O-N. And um, I appreciate everyone listening to my story. And it's I didn't come on here to be narcissistic or to be boisterous or to brag. I just, I think people, um, I, I like to hear people's I like to hear people's Bruce's stories. I like to hear about, you know, their concert experiences. And I love this platform. So I look at this as a way to just kind of share, you know, share how Bruce has changed my life. And I appreciate the format that you provide us, Jesse. Well, uh, you have been very vocal and supportive, and I just love you for it. And I'm sure we'll have you on. Um, we'll, we'll talk again. Very good. Or something. So for now, I'm going to thank everyone. I appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Ain't no church bell ringing, ain't no flags unfurled. Just me and the hope we bring into the real world, into the real Wasn't that fun? I'll see you tomorrow with another special episode. And remember, vote early and vote often. Set Lusting Bruce on your ballots. Do it for Bruce and the E Street Band. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shot? Would they shot? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.